Lord, we thank you that we can find you in the hurricanes of life as the storms blow in and out. Lord, we're promised in Scripture that you will never leave us nor forsake us, but you will help us press through. And so, Lord, I just ask today as we continue to talk about breakthrough in relationships, Lord, and that's in relationship with you, but also in relationship with others, God, that we would just see the breakthroughs that we've been praying for and crying out for. And so, Lord, just continue to have your way this morning, and we ask this in your precious name. Amen. Well, just a little bit more, uh, a kind of a, a kind of a follow-up on Brian's story. So he will be our speaker at the Legacy Vineyard, and we're doing this in conjunction with about three or four churches. And uh, his son, by the way, is, as you saw in the picture, he went through this for about a five to six year time frame, and Brian said it was a seven-day-a-week, 24-hour-a-day thing. But what he saw happening is while his son was struggling, he kept leading people to Jesus. People kept getting healed. His church grew. And eventually his son, uh, and he said lately, he's about 95% healed today. Praise God. So let's give God a round of applause for that. Amen. So it's just pressing through the storms. I mean, they come, they blow in, they're there. And we don't always understand why the storms come. They just do. And we just need to have the right attitude. We need to have the right perspective. And, and, you know, Natalie Grant sings about how you press through. And some of the words there, it's never too late. It's never too late for Jesus to reach out and touch you. And, and sometimes we just need to let the fear go because we know fear comes in the storms of life. And if we let fear take over, fear drives out love. Fear causes all kinds of issues. And there's a wreckage that's coming. But when we let love take over, we understand that Jesus is there for us. He's going to bring us through the hurricane. Doesn't matter how bad it looks. Doesn't matter what size the hurricane is. Jesus promises he'll be with us. And this is all about breakthrough. And, you know, and I've been praying for breakthrough for this year. I've been praying for breakthrough in, in my family's life. I've been praying for breakthrough in our church and our school. I've been praying for a breakthrough in our community and even within our state and even within our nation. But, you know, I, I really believe God wants to bring breakthroughs in our lives. And that's why we're focusing on the whole concept of spiritual breakthrough. Lately, we've been kind of hunkering down on breakthrough in relationships because, well, relationships, you know, they happen every day, right? You have them at work, you have them at school, you have them at church, you know, and, 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 and I hear over and over that there's strain in relationships. You know, we hear it in, in school between students, we hear it between parents, we hear it between people at work, that, you know, and the list goes on and on and on and on. But we're promised in Scripture this, 2 Corinthians 10, 3 through 4. For though we live in the world, we do not wage war as the world does. The weapons we fight with are not the weapons of the world, on the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. And, and we need to understand, the Lord has given us tools. He's putting things into our lives that we can use that can give us the breakthrough that we're looking for. And we're also promised in Philippians 4.19, And my God will meet and supply all your needs according to his riches and glory. And that is for breakthrough in relationships, breakthrough with family. And you know, and as you look into the Bible, and you really start digging deep into the Bible, you discover the Bible shares stories upon stories, focusing on 
real relationships. Some relationships have uh, hardship, some have toxicity in them, some need breakthrough, some are filled with love, some are filled with heartbreak, some are filled with... By the way, I looked it up this week. There was 130 people sold into slavery in the Bible, by the way. Did you know that? How about that for needing a breakthrough if you get sold into slavery, right? Think about it. But the Bible is really crystal clear about telling us that you can have a breakthrough no matter what it is that you face in life. And so we're going to be focusing, and I want to remind you that, you know, last week as we looked at, we want to make sure we have a proper view of the kind of relationships that God wants us to have, that we have the proper balance. We don't want them to be blurred. We don't want them to be out of vision. We want to be able to focus in. But God has a DNA design for a relationship. And that also, by the way, starts with you and God first. And then all of your relationships kind of come out of that. And I kind of showed you this little diagram last week that I kind of came up with. And and I kind of got some of it from uh, the DNA of Relationships by Dr. Smalley. I've kind of added my own little touch to it. But we need to have a proper view of God in our life. And he does need to be at the top of the pinnacle in our life as well. And that all has to do with our inner being of our spiritual realm. If our spirit being isn't healthy, it's going to affect all the other realms we live in. See, then there's the self side of things, which we would call the soul. Then on the other side, there's the others, or people we encounter on a daily basis. And this has to do with kind of the physical aspect of life. You run into people every day. You talk to people every day. Uh, you may work together side by side with someone every day. But the reality is unit. And so we need to understand that the reality is we need to handle our relationships and we need to handle them with kid glove care, but we also need to handle them with love and direction from the Lord. But I have a little story to tell you. There was a man who was reading his paper early one morning at the breakfast table. His wife came over to him and patted him on the shoulder. She looked at him, smiled, and said, I bet you don't know what today is, do you? And he thought for a moment, he looked at her, and then he said, of course I know what day it is. And he went back to reading his paper. He didn't have a clue what the day was or what he was missing because he was forgetting things. And so he was afraid that he would make his wife upset. He's thinking, did I miss her birthday? Is it her birthday today? Is it an anniversary? So, and he knows she's really sensitive about special occasions. So he thought to himself, is it her birthday? Well, it must be. So after that, he got to work. He called the florist and he had a bouquet of white roses sent to his wife. Then as the day went on, he began to worry that maybe the flowers may not be enough for such an important day. So what if it is his anniversary, because he couldn't remember? So he went to the jewelry store down from his office, picked out a beautiful tennis bracelet, and had a special delivered to his wife. As he started home from work, he decided that maybe he should also stop and buy an expensive box of chocolates to bring to her just in case he missed something else. He pulls into the driveway... His wife runs out to greet him. As he gets out of the car and presents her with a box of chocolates, she throws her arms around him and says, Oh, honey, this is the best Groundhog Day ever. <laughs> you know, relationships, they're important, they're essential. You got to remember those important days, amen? It's my wife's birthday today, by the way, so if you see her, wish her a happy birthday. And so you want to do nice things for those you love, those that you're in family with, those that you're doing things with. 
And so this guy, he just couldn't remember what day it was. He really didn't know it was Groundhog Day, and he thought he was missing something. But the reality is, is, you know what? We need to look at our relationships. We need to look at them through God's lens. We need to make sure that we're in tune to what God wants us to hear and see. And the Bible says if you're struggling in relationships, if you need wisdom, ask for wisdom. God will give you wisdom and what to do, what, what to say, what not to say. And he really does help us in our relationships if we seek his help. Well, I want to talk about a guy by the name of Joseph today. And if you have your Bibles, you can turn with me to the book of Genesis chapter 37. And Joseph is a prime example for us of an individual who had a whole bunch of relationship struggle. He had struggles in his family relationships. He especially had a struggle in his relationship with his brothers. And, you know, we're going to read here in a moment in Scripture that his brothers literally hated him. They did not like him at all. And now he didn't help his case at all, and his dad kind of set even Joe up for failure by doing a thing called favoritism, and we're going to look at that in a moment. But really, Joseph's life is all about going from the pit to the palace, by the way. You could even say it this way. His life goes from the pit to the prison to the palace. And all the way through are all these relationships some of the relationships go good. Some of the relationships go bad. Some of the relationships get broken. Some of them get mended. Some of them get healed. Some get forgiven. But it's really about a story about a man going through life and dealing with all kinds of different relationships, but yet also being in tune to what God has placed on his heart. So in Genesis chapter 37, we pick up the story and we have a young man by the name of Joseph. Now, Joseph is a young man of 17 years old. He's tending the flocks with his brothers. Now, he's, his, his brothers that are in the story are his half-brothers because they have different uh, mothers than he does. And, uh, and he, he, he basically is sent out by his father to go check on his brothers. And it says in chapter 37, verse 1, that as his brothers are tending the flock, uh, he brought his father a bad report about his brother. So I want you to understand. So here's Joseph, a 17-year-old, and he decides that his brothers did something, and he's going to be the tattletale, and he runs back to his dad, Jacob, and he says, hey, dad, they're doing this out in the field. This is what they're doing with your sheep. This is what's happening out there. And so he kind of tattles on his brothers. Now, that's just verse 1 and 2. Now, you get into verse 3. Now, Israel, which is also Jacob's name, loved Joseph more than any of his other sons. Now, can I tell you, whenever there's a phrase like that, he loved Joseph more than any of his other sons, how many of you know things are not going to be looking good in that family unit? Right? And he goes on to say, because he had been born to him in his old age, and he made him a richly ornamented robe for him. When his brothers saw that their father loved him more than any of them, they hated him and could not speak a kind word to him. Joseph had a dream, and when he told it to his brothers, they hated him all the more. And he said to them, listen to this dream I had. Now, I want you to just picture a 17-year-old who could be part of your family. Maybe he's your brother. Your dad's already given him a special robe to make sure he's more special than anybody else in the family, and now he has a dream. And so he says, listen to my dream. We were binding sheaves of grain out in the field when suddenly my sheaf rose and stood upright while your sheaves gathered around mine and bowed down to it. Now, basically, he just said, hey, I want you guys all know you're going to bow down to me when we get older. 
Now, how many of you know that's not going to build a really good relationship between brother to brother? And so he goes on, and, and his brothers say, what, you, you intend to reign over us? Will you actually rule us? And they hated him all the more because of his dream and what he had said. Then he had another dream, and he told it to his brothers again, said, listen, he said, I had another dream. And this time the sun and moon and 11 stars were bowing down to me. And when he told his father and all of, all of his brothers, his father rebuked him and said, what is this dream you had where your mother and I and your brothers actually come and bow down to the ground before you? He hasn't learned it yet, all right? He hasn't learned humility. He's a 17-year-old, arrogant, spoiled little boy who hasn't got a clue how much he's irritating everybody around him. And, and, and I want you to just get a picture, because we always look at Joseph as this mild-mannered, nice, sweet, little 17-year-old boy. But I want you to know, this 17-year-old little boy is not a sweet. He's tattling on his brothers. He gets a special coat from his father. His father says, I like him more and love him more than all the rest of you guys. Then he gets these dreams, and he keeps telling the rest of them, you're all going to bow to me. Now, if he was my little brother, guess what? I would have thrown him in a pit, too. I'm just being honest, right? If he was your brother, you're like, really? All right, well, let's, let's go outside here. See this pit? Here you go. You need to get humble, bro, because that's what happens. His dad sends him out to check on the brothers again, and when they see him afar off, they hate him so much they actually want to kill him. Reuben talks him out of killing the kid. They throw him into the pit, and then they basically sell him for 20 shekels of silver, which is, I've gotten different numbers on it, but it's around $30. They sell him for about 30 bucks, and he's sold off into slavery, and at the end of our chapter, it says he sold to Potiphar as a slave down in Egypt. And I, and I just want to kind of walk through this story a little bit because it is all about relationships. It is about if you want to have toxic relationships or good relationships, we need to learn how to act within a family unit. Can I hear an amen to that? And sometimes, you know, we blame Joseph for everything that happens to him, and sometimes we don't. But the reality is, if I had to blame anybody in this story for creating Joseph the way he was, I'd have to blame his dad. Can I hear an amen to that? And so Joe has, you know, I'm going to call him Joe, by the way. So Joe and his relationship troubles start to occur in the beginning of verse uh, 1 there. But I want you to know, Joe was spoiled. He was spoiled by his dad, Jacob, also called Israel. And here is a coat of honor because you are my favorite son, and he makes it a big spectacle presentation, and that's why these guys really don't like him. But Joe was in a family where his dad lifted him up as more honorable than the rest of the kids. Jacob blatantly showed favoritism to Joseph, and the rest of the family took notice and made Joseph's relationships with his brothers toxic, strained, and eventually caused them to break. Now, I, I just want you to know that when we talk about you know, that type of a mindset, that's really a dysfunctional family. Now, I, I grew up in my family. I got to say, my mom did not show favoritism to any one of us boys. You know, we all got spankings. My brother and I were fighting once in the, in the front yard, and my mom came out and hit us both with a, with a wiffle ball bat on the back. We got the same treatment, so we did. Now, we deserved it because we were out there fighting in the front yard and stuff like that. But it was interesting, but I had a grandmother on my dad's side. And my grandmother showed favoritism. Always bothered me as a kid. As a matter of fact, she truly showed favoritism to my one cousin, and she truly showed favoritism to my older brother. 
And they would, get, they would get gifts and special treatment and all kinds of stuff that we never got. And I still remember this day that it, it just used to annoy me and aggravate me. And I'd actually get mad at my cousin or my brother because they'd get the preferential treatment that I wouldn't get. And, and it just really irritated me. And, and what was interesting is as we look at our story here, we have this disease called favoritism that is playing out, and it's really all about, or if we want to break through in relationships, we can't be showing favorites one to the other. Can I hear an amen to that? Everybody needs to be treated equally with respect. So favoritism will destroy and cause relationships to become toxic between the haves and the have-nots. Joe's special ta status causes family relationships to break. It unleashed what we call the green-eyed monster of jealousy into this family. It unleashed anger, envy, fear, and bitterness. Not love, kindness, joy, grace, or mercy. It unleashed pride and arrogance into our young man of 17 years old. And, and, you know, and I just have to say this. Is Joe really the blame or is it because his dad set this whole thing up? Treating him different. You know, I've been reading a book on being a great grandparent, and I got to admit, I, I was a little bit convicted. I was reading the first chapter on how to be a great grandparent. And you know what the first thing the guy says about being a great grandparent is? Are you ready for this? Don't spoil your grandchildren. Like, ah, oh, man, I do that very well. My wife tells me all the time I do it very well. And the other night, Harlow wanted something, and and I actually said the no word. And she just kind of, and Kathy's like, she looked at me and says, you really told her no? I go, I did. I've been reading a book. I can't spoil my grandchildren. Even though I want to spoil my grandchildren, I can't spoil my grandchildren. So I told her no. And man, she played it to the hilt, so she did. But the reality is, is what do you want to create? Do you want to create children that are respectful and loving and caring to other people, then you can't spoil your child. You can't tell your child that they're the center of the universe. You can't make them think that they're more special than anybody else because that's what Jacob was doing in our situation and scenario. And the other brothers were becoming hurt, and there was hurt and pain that they were dealing with. And I like what Dr. Smalley says in his book, The DNA of Relationships. God made you for relationships. We've been establishing that fact. He says, you can't change that, by the way. You were created to be in relationship with God, with others, and even, in a sense, with yourself. You can work either with or against this DNA, but you can't choose whether it exists or not. The only choice you have is whether you will work to make those relationships great or allow them to cause you and others great pain. So you need to choose wisely. You need to choose life. You need to choose the right way to handle things, the right way to look at things. And we are put in relationships, by the way. We're born into families that really we have no choice over it, but we do have a choice of how we're going to deal with that family unit as we are part of that family unit. You do have a choice. You have power in choice. You can choose to forgive, you can choose to love, you can choose to hate, you can choose to fight, you can choose to forgive, you can, you can make your choice any way you want to take it. But the reality is, is we're all born into relationships and we have a choice to choose what we're going to do and what we're not going to do. Conflict is inevitable in any family unit. Conflict is inevitable in most relationships. See, the problem is, is you just have to make sure that your attitude is right. You have to make sure you're in tune to what God wants you to do, how God wants you to handle yourself in that relationship, things you should say or shouldn't say. That's your responsibility. 
We need to have a healthy view of relationships in light of God's design. So we have Joseph. We go back to Joseph. Of course, he's the great-grandson of Abraham. And, and as we look at his life, you know, here he is. He's 17 years old. He's, he's kind of highlighted as the special one in the family. He's given a coat that makes him stand out anymore, uh, stand out even more to the brothers, which causes more hatred to him, more. And it says, basically, if you read there in Scripture, it says that his brothers never had anything nice to say to him. They were not nice to him. I'm sure as soon as they got out of the presence of dad, they just, they just picked on this kid. And, and, and the reality is, can you imagine a 17-year-old who's the center of the universe? Just, just think about that for a moment. A 17-year-old who thinks he's the center of the universe for a moment. And, and that's where we have Joseph, and, and we have this struggle going on. And, and you know, his birth to 17 years, you know, I, I kind of I titled his birth to 17 years, which is talked about in Genesis chapter 30 all the way to chapter 37. And, and the reality there is it's like, you know, how I look at this part of his life is like, yo, Joe, dude, you don't get it. I mean, he's so blinded by being kind of wrapped up in himself. He's so blinded. And yes, by the way, he gets these dreams. And do I believe the dreams are from God? Sure I do. I believe God gave him those dreams. But God didn't give him those dreams to rub into the face of his brothers and his mother and his father. Can I have an amen to that? See, when God gives us dreams or visions or gives us insight, he doesn't give them so that we can put others down with that vision. A lot of times he gives us a vision and a dream that we internalize, that we kind of put up here on the shelf, that we go after, but it's not that we're better than anybody else. And, and here's, here's our 70-year walking around saying to his brothers, you're going to all bow to me when you're older. Mom and Dad, you're even going to bow to me. And then it's interesting, at that point it says in Scripture that Jacob rebuked him. I think he should have rebuked him back when he was a toddler, amen? He should have started back when he was a toddler, back in when he was younger, to teach him what it means to respect others, what it means to share with others, what it means to play with others, that you don't always get your way, that it has to be your way or the highway. And because the sad thing is, is here's the problem with favoritism. It doesn't just impact the haves. It impacts the have-nots, absolutely, but it also impacts the ones who are on the side of favoritism because you know what happens to them? They grow up into spoiled people, and nobody wants anything to do with them. Can you hear an amen to that? And so the Lord wants us to look at the way that we look at relationships in light of what Scripture says, that we're supposed to die to ourselves, that we're supposed to look out for the interests of others before our own, that we're supposed to be there. And Joseph hasn't learned that lesson, and he's a young man. He really hasn't been taught that lesson from his father, that's for sure. I find it interesting because Jacob, if you know the story of Jacob or Israel, Jacob and Esau battled once again for the favoritism of their father. And it said Jacob came about holding the heel of Esau, and he steals away the blessing of Esau. Why? Because the one, the father showed favoritism to his older brother. And I just sit here and go, and Jacob, you're doing the same thing in your own family, dude. You're repeating the same mistake. And the Lord tells us in Scripture, if you really read it closely, that absolutely everybody's special. Everybody has a vision. Everybody should have a coat. Everybody should be lifted up. Everybody should be applauded for what they do. 
And so as we look at this and we look at this historical context, we understand that what's sad about this whole thing of favoritism is that it's going to make the relationship with his brother so bad that it's going to send him to the pit. Now, favoritism, you would think, would elevate him in the family unit to get all the best and the brightest. But the reality is the favoritism shown by his father is going to get our hero, Joseph, thrown into a pit and sold off into slavery. And, and I just sit back and say, I don't know, you know, and some people say, well, God had a plan and God worked it out this way. You know what? I think God works things out in spite of us. Can I hear an amen to that? I, I think God could have made him the prime minister of Egypt another way too. I think God could have orchestrated things differently. But he kind of knew how things were going to work out. He knew that this young man needed to be, everybody ready for me? He needed to be humbled, right? If he's going to become the prime minister of Egypt one day, the best thing that the Lord could do for our arrogant, self-absorbed young man is to teach him humility. And that, by the way, brings storms. That, by the way, brings a pit. And that, but it needs to happen if Joseph is going to be the man of God that he is called to be. And, and you know, and, and you can't blame the brothers, and you, you have to blame the father, but, you know, just think about it. First it was a coat, and then comes the dream. So it's one thing upon another thing. It keeps making his relationships talk. The disease is spreading like wildfire, and, and he keeps bragging about his dreams, and he's prideful and arrogant. I don't know about you. Have you ever met a prideful and arrogant 17-year-old? I used to teach special ed. I had a few of them in my classroom. And they can drive you up a wall, so they can. Can you imagine living with them 24-7? And so, you know, as we come back to this whole thing, Joe gets his dreams. I, I kind of believe God gave him his dreams. And the sad thing is, is he's got these messed up relationships that are sending down a path that, well, nobody should have to go. And that path is a pit and into slavery. And so I just want to challenge you to think about this for a second. See, favoritism will destroy and cause relationships to become toxic. I don't care what family you're in. It will become a struggle in any relationship. And the struggle will be between the haves and the have-nots. The haves will suffer from it as well as the have-nots will suffer from it. And, and we need to understand that this plague created for Joseph all kinds of problems in his life that really he probably wouldn't have had to deal with if he was raised in a different way because God still could have put him as prime minister of Egypt another way. But favoritism in a home is deadly. Jacob, of all people, like I said, should have understood that, but he didn't. And, and I just wonder how many of you would love to be able to say or you know what I'm talking about when I'm talking about this favoritism thing, how you would just love to hear your family say, man, I'm really proud of you. You know, you are special, you are unique, and God created you the way you are. I mean, some people are longing for that in relationship today. And, and I don't know about you, but, I, you know, I never got that with my grandmother. She ended up passing away, and she always played favorites. Now, on my other side, my grandma and grandpa, on my mom's side, they never played favorites either. They treated everybody the same and equal, and everything had to be equal. I mean, Kathy's big on that too. Even when we do presents and everything, everything's got to be equal with the grandkids. Because we want to make sure that all of our kids know they're special. That every one of them has a code of honor in our eyes. That every one of them have a divine destiny that God has placed upon their lives. 
And I pray for the destiny of my, my grandchildren even now. I mean, it's one thing this book is teaching me. Start praying for your grandkids now. Start praying for them and interceding for them now. And, and I don't know, maybe you, maybe you have kids that they're not where they need to be. Keep praying for them. Keep fasting for them. Keep interceding for them. Because you know what? That's what's going to make a difference. And I look at Joseph, and God took Joseph and shaped him and molded him into what he wanted to be. And as we look at this disease of favoritism, you know, there's even more that there's this idea that there's more than just the breaking of relationships that happen, but favoritism and the special robe status just causes jealousy to get out of control. And I don't know about you, but jealousy causes a whole lot of pain and agony. If you read about it in Scripture, it's never talked about in a positive light. You can, you can attach it with the word envy, and it says that it, it'll basically cause rot to the bones, it says in Proverbs. And I think there's another thing that comes with jealousy, and it comes with this idea of, um, of envy in others. And, and, and it's really one of the hardest sins to admit to, by the way. How often do we hear someone admit that they're jealous of someone else? But it is universal, and we need to deal with it, and, and we can't be envying other people. You can't envy another person's salary, success, beauty, wardrobe, education, temperament, athletic ability, any of that. But what we really need to know is we really need to keep ourselves in check as the Lord wants us to keep in check, and we need to keep our envy in check. And so if the green-eyed monster gets out of control, man, you have all kinds of problems. And it's sad to say that's kind of what happened to Joseph with his brothers. They were envious of him. They were jealous of him. I, I, I just don't understand why they didn't get mad at their dad, because it was their dad that was doing that, and he had been doing it probably since he was a young boy. But maybe that's how we handle pain. We kind of diffuse who really should get the anger. They couldn't do anything about what their dad did, but they could focus on the one who got the favorite treatment. And so it says a lot about us, about how we're supposed to be raising our family and our grandkids and kids and even other kids or spiritual kids as well. You know, Gary Smalley goes on to say in his book, The DNA of Relationships, that there's not only this idea of jealousy and there's not only this idea of envy that seems to rise up in relationships like Joseph's, but he goes on to say that there's something else that happens as well. And he says... What happens is kids get a sense of fear. They, they play this dance affair, and he goes on to say, fear has a lot to do with breaking up relationships, causing relationships to, be, to basically be sprained. And, and he says, and, and fear, the fear factor destroys more relationships, he says, than he thinks even envy and jealousy does. He, he quotes Psalm 34.4. I sought the Lord, and he answered me, and he delivered me from all my fears. See, it doesn't matter what your family unit was like growing up or what fears may have been implanted in you. God can still deliver you from your fears. He goes on to say in 2 Timothy 1.7, For God did not give us a spirit of timidity, but a spirit of power, of love, and of self-discipline. And the, the keynote that we need to understand here is we need to discover if there's some type of fear in our relationships with others, especially the ones that are strained or broken or, or maybe toxic, we need to see if there's a fear factor in there. Is there a fear factor in there? Is something pushing our buttons that cause us to overreact in the situation? He, he, ma he made this statement, and I quoted it last week. The external problem is really the real problem in any relationship. It usually goes deeper. 
And sometimes it could be fear. See, do you know what your fear is? Do you know what your button is? Is there a fear button that you have that gets pushed and then you just kind of lash out in the relationship? What is your core fear? Do you even know what your core fear is? He says, he goes on to say, you may not like me saying this, says Dr. Smalley, but there is a fear factor in every relationship you have, believe it or not. He goes, think about these fear factors. Maybe they will relate to you. Maybe this will help you understand why your relationships are strained or broken. I feel rejected as if people are closing me out of their lives. So I react. I feel abandoned or left behind, as in divorce, so I react. I feel disconnected from others or alone, so I react. I feel like a failure. I feel unloved if no one could love me. I feel defective as if something is wrong with me, as if I'm the problem. I feel inadequate as if I just don't measure up to others like I should. I feel inferior as if I'm being placed below everyone else in value. I feel belittled. I feel cheated or ripped off or taken advantage of. I feel invalidated if my words and actions are being ignored or devalued. I feel unfulfilled as if what is happening to me will lead to a dissatisfied life. But he says, but can you identify, are any of those fears relevant in your relationships that seem to be strained or broken? He says, he encourages you, nail down your fear factor and give it to God because perfect love casts out fear, right? We hear that in Scripture. And fear doesn't have to grip us or control us or make us react. We can get rid of the fear if we give it to God. It goes back to this whole thing. If we want to have healthy and whole relationships, we need to connect with God. We need God's help, God's wisdom, God's direction, God's insight. And, and I look at Brian, for example. Now, he had the fear. He had to deal with the fear of watching his son just be out of control, and he kind of shares personally, he goes, you know, what really drove me crazy is I'm praying for people, and they're getting saved. I'm praying for people, and they're getting healed. I pray for my own son, and nothing happens for years and years and years. And I watched my son struggle. And, and he kept saying, what happens if he never gets healed? There was a kind of a fear factor there. What, what happens if he hurts himself? He said it got so bad with his son uh, hurting himself or hurting others, that they finally decided that they need to get him and make him a safe room in their home. So they literally had to build him a safe room in their home, where when he got really bad like this, they would put him in the room and lock the door and was all padded. And he said, and you're struggling because you're planning a church and it's grown and people are coming to the Lord and you're praying for people and you see him get healed or touched. And then here's my own son that I can't do anything with and I can't, I can't get the breakthrough that I'm looking for. And it took a few years for the breakthrough to come, but it came. And he says, I thank the Lord I never gave up because if you would have watched more of the video that I showed you the clip out of here just a moment ago, you would have found out that you know who's his biggest helper in praying for people now? It's a son. They even have in the movie clip him praying for this man out in front and tell him how much the Lord loves him and how much God wants to do something in his life. And this older man just starts crying as this 14-year-old boy is praying for him. But you see, it's this connection of getting God's help in our relationships and helping God, uh, asking God to help us in our relationships. And, and we have to do it the right way if we want to break through. So we get Joseph, and we see that, you know, Joseph, of course, once out, he gets thrown into the pit. And I want you to know that I'm sure there's a whole lot of things that went through our hero's mind in the pit. 
He's not really acting like a hero at this time because of his pride and his arrogance. But I want you to know, Joe's pride and arrogance caused by his father sent him up for a toxic relationship, and so comes the pit. But I want you to know that as he's in there, you know, we do have responsibility to act the way God desires us to act in relationships. And maybe Joe starts thinking about it as he's sitting in the pit down there. You know, my brothers really want to kill me. I'm hearing them talking about killing me. You know, and he does. I believe he does maybe cry out to God because it's obvious this guy had a relationship with God. So he gets sold into slavery, which I'm sure was another blow, another hurricane, another storm. And then he gets, you know, probably chained or handcuffed or tied. And off he goes on this, 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 uh, these Midianites take him off to Egypt and he gets sold as a slave to Potiphar. And we're going to talk about more of Joe's life next week because somewhere along the line, Joe starts to become humble. Joe starts to see how he's supposed to react and what he's supposed to do. Joe starts to grow in his relationship with God. He starts to grow in his relationship with others, and he takes responsibility. He doesn't think everything's going to be handed to him, that he's going to always have this special code. He realizes, well, that's not going to happen anymore, and he starts to put hard work, and he also starts to learn through his failures, by the way. And I think one thing we need to understand, that life is filled with disappointments, and life is filled with failures, and relationships can get to points where they're failures. But the, the, the deal is, and it's kind of a book I read years ago by John Maxwell called Failing Forward. It's what are you going to do when you fail? Are you going to fall down and stay down, or are you going to get back up again? Because Joe got thrown into the pit. And you would say that everything he did up to that point went wrong, nothing went right. He could really beat himself up of how stupid he was. That's kind of my title, yo, Joe, dude, can't you see what you're doing? Can't you see you're straining and breaking more relationship? He couldn't see it. And he needed a pit experience to open his eyes to see the truth as to how he was relating to others. And in Maxwell's book, Failing Forward, he says, all great achievers are given multiple reasons to believe they are failures. But in spite of that, they persevere. Joseph is going to get back up out of the pit, and he's going to persevere at Potiphar's house. He's going to do what he's supposed to do. He says, and he goes on to say, God uses people who fail because there aren't any kind of other people around. Can I tell you something? We're all going to fail at something. But what are you going to do about it? I like our hero Joseph because, well, you know, he went through a lot. He took responsibility. He learns from his lesson. And, and his pit experience is going to help him grow. And I don't know about you, but you may be in a pit experience right now. It could be your fault. could not be your fault. It could be things you did or said. It could be actions you took. It could be choices you made and it put you in the pit. Or it could be the result of somebody else who set you up to be thrown into the pit. I don't know. But I want you to know that if you want to overcome, if you want to get out of the pit, we need to learn the lessons of life. We need to learn that, number one, God is in control. And if God gives you a dream, number one, he's going to fulfill that dream. It doesn't even matter if you're in the pit. If God gives you a dream and you know it's a vision for your life, you know what you're called to do, and you go after that vision and dream, you may find yourself in a pit, but you know what? You don't have to stay in the pit. And you can say, well, David, well, of course, our man Joseph didn't have a choice in the pit, right? Because he got sold into slavery. But I, I see a change in his attitude when he goes to work for Potiphar. Because if you go read about it in the next chapter, so man, this guy was like a stand-up worker. He honored the one who, 
who bought him. He owned the one who owned him, and he worked hard for him, and he honored everything about him. And it also talks about how he honored the Lord. And so where are you at in your relationships? Are they broken? Because the reality is, if you throw away a relationship, you throw away a person. So never throw away your relationships. Always understand God can bring the breakthrough. Always understand that God has something special just around the corner. And that just because maybe you're in the pit right now doesn't mean you're going to be there in a week from now. And we look at our man, and, and, we, and like I said, he's going to go from the pit, he's going to go uh, to Potiphar's house, then he's going to end up in prison, we'll talk about that next week, and then he's going to end up eventually in the palace as second in command of all of Egypt. Now you tell me, that's not amazing? But all along the line, this man was learning how to do and, and deliver relationships the way God wanted him to. He had to lose his arrogance, he had to lose his pride, he had to lose his ego, he had to lose his special coat. He really did need to lose the special coat because the special coat was holding him back. The special coat was causing toxicity in the relationships that were around him. He needed to become humble. He needed to be, well, like Jesus, by the way. Because if you think anything about Jesus and you read anything about Jesus and you look at the life of Jesus, Jesus had said, humbled himself to what? To come and die on the cross for you and I. It says in Philippians that he humbled himself to be what God wanted him to be. And he did that so that you and I could find what? So you and I could get new life, so that you and I could find a connection with God the Father, that we could have a relationship with God the Father. And so the challenge is, what are, what are we doing? Are we going to humble ourselves? Are we going to uh, do what God wants us to do? Or are we just going to get mad and angry and be unforgiving? Because Joseph could have done that. He could have become unforgiving. He could have got mad and angry. He could have said he, he didn't want anything to do with his family. But we know in the end, he is nice to his family and actually saves their life. So I guess as I'm kind of wrapping everything up today, I'm going to have Ashley come up. My couple questions for you are, you know, as we look at this message is, where are you at in your relationships? Are they balanced? Do you have a solid relationship with God? Do you have a solid relationship with others? Do you have a solid relationship with yourself? What are you doing? Are you connecting? Are you connecting with God the way you're supposed to connect? If you're in struggle, or are you going through problems with relationships? Are you getting mad at God? Or are you rejecting God, running away from God, or running to God? How about yourself? I said this last week, our self can get inflated like our hero's faith got inflated. Or the other thing could happen is, you know what, we can, we can start beating ourselves up for the mistakes we make and our self gets this small. And the devil would love to have you beat yourself up and condemn yourself. So don't let him do it. And then lastly on this side, how's your relationship with others? Are they broken and severed? You know, I sometimes challenge people who, who tell me that, you know, you know, I just, all my, you know, there seems to be no relationships and I don't seem to connect with anybody. Then I, and I usually say, well, take a good look at what you're doing. I still remember an old phrase by Chuck Swindoll years ago. He said, if you want a friend, you got to be a friend. And I read scripture over and over. If you want to connect with other people, you really do got to die to yourself and you got to try and connect with other people. 
And I've been challenging you maybe to connect with somebody in your life. Remember a few weeks ago, I've challenged you to think about, is there anybody in your life that you need to connect with? And I pray God would lay them on your heart and that you would connect with them. You know, just like in our story there of Brian connected with that gal in Burger King in the window drive through Maybe there's somebody God wants you to connect with this week that you could pray for. Maybe pray for a healing and then God does something more like lead them to Him. Show them that they're loved and that they're, they are of value. You know, there's a lot of people running around our society that don't think they have any value. They don't think they have a purpose. They don't think they have a meaning. And they beat themselves up all the time. That's kind of why they do drugs. It's kind of why they do alcohol. See, a lot of people turn to things like that when, because they don't understand God's the one that brings the breakthrough. That other stuff never brings a breakthrough. It just brings more bondage. So what do we need to know? Well, favoritism in relationships with the haves and have-nots will just cause relationships to become more toxic. So we want to do away with favoritism. But can I say this? We are all God's favorites. Can you raise your hand to that? You are God's favorite. And just like Joseph got a special coat, you have a special coat with God. And you're special to God. And just like he gave dreams to Joseph to let him know there is a destiny on his life, every single one of you, I believe God has given dreams, or if he hasn't, pray for it, and he will. But he, he wants to use you for his kingdom. If you're here on this earth, he still wants to use you. Amen? There's a purpose. There's a reason you're here. And God wants you to know you're special. As a matter of fact, you're so special, you're part of his family. He adopts you in and makes you special. And you get to be part of the royalty, the royalty of heaven. That's pretty good, amen? And so we need to know that we are special in God and that he does show us favoritism. And if we do what he calls us to do, he's going to be there to meet and supply our need. But once again, we just need to have a proper view of God's design for relationships, know that everyone is special, and we need to treat each other as special too. So let's stand as we close today. Lord, I thank you for the life of Joseph, that it teaches us about what not to do in relationships. It teaches us how we need to persevere through hard